If you've got your bulletins and you want to take notes, I'd invite you to take that out and get ready. Turn to your Bibles in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter, it's right after First Peter. If you were having trouble finding it, <laughs> it's uh, towards the end of the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter three a little bit later this morning. Let me ask you this question this morning: What are you preparing for this Christmas season? What are you preparing for this Christmas season? I don't know about you, but maybe the question should be asked. Are you preparing for all of the gifts and all of the presents and all of the things that you bought or made or that you got ready to distribute? Are you preparing for all of those things to be stolen, destroyed, or broken before Christmas? Anybody preparing for that? No. Good. Good. I'm glad. Are you preparing this Christmas as you begin to think about food for Christmas and all of the, the fixings that go into Christmas, are you preparing for all of the food to be spoiled this Christmas? Nobody. Nobody. Okay. Are you preparing for everything this Christmas to be canceled? Maybe some of us are because it's 2020. Amen. Uh, but no, we're not preparing for that, are we? Are you preparing for this to be the best Christmas that you've ever had. Sometimes I think it becomes easier for us to survive each day. But we are called to prepare to live out our lives for Jesus Christ right now. I don't know about you, there's time. But that's not enough just to survive each day. And I believe God's Word points us to something today that helps us to prepare to live out our life for Jesus right now as we anticipate His coming. All in favor, say aye. Amen. Amen. Our text this morning is not a familiar Christmas passage. If you're reading along in the Advent devotional time, you're probably reading this text today and wondering how it fits for Christmas. Many times, this text that we're about to read reads with fear and uncertainty rather than peace and hope for the coming Christ child. We can sometimes get so caught up in the, the glow of the season and the, the warm fuzzies that Christmas brings, or maybe we're on the other side of that and we get so caught up in the doom and gloom of our world and our circumstances. And we forget that we're celebrating Christ coming to earth as a baby in Bethlehem. And we today also anticipate Christ's eventual return. Amen? But we're living in this in-between time. We're looking back at the kingdom that came with the arrival of Christ. And now we're looking forward to His kingdom that's still yet to come for eternity. So let's look to God's Word this morning from Second Peter and see how we can Live the kingdom life now. Second Peter chapter 3, I want to begin reading with verse number 8. You follow along as I read from God's Word this morning. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. Your word that is true the day it was written and it's still true today. We can stand on that promise. And God, we stand on that promise this morning. Would you speak to your people this morning through your word and may the miracle of preaching take place today as we go out from this place and are obedient with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As I mentioned before, sometimes this text is, is, is hard to read with hope and peace. Many times when we read this text, it, it brings with it fear. And we, we as preachers tend to preach this text as almost a chance for you to get one last chance to make your life right. Because there's coming a day when the heavens will be destroyed and everything on earth will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And are you ready for that day? But I believe as we take a closer look at this text, it will help us today to live out God's kingdom life for us right now. So let's look a little bit closer at this. I want us to see a few things about this text that are very important this morning. Number one is this, our timetable is not his timetable. Our timetable is not his timetable. In verse 8, we read these words, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and the thousand years are like a day. I don't know about you, over the last eight to nine months, we've probably come through certain days, and we probably just think to ourselves, you know what? Is this year over yet? I, I, I write out my tithe check every week, and I have to put, 2020 at the end of the date. I'm tired of writing 2020. Anybody else have that same feeling? I cannot wait to just put a one at the end of that and just change 2020. We, we look forward to that, but there's times in our lives where, where a, a day in our life seems like a thousand years. It seems like it just goes on and on and on. And are we ever going to get through this season of life? Are we ever going to come through this? And I'm reminded of this text that says a day in our life is like a thousand years for our God. And a thousand years are like a day. I was talking with somebody this week and having a conversation about uh, life and things that have happened this year. And this person I was talking to reminded me that they had started a new job in February. What a great time to start a new job, right? And in February, they started this new job and, it, and it's continued and they still have a bunch of stress and there's a lot of things that are changing and, and they were going on about their job and I stopped and I said, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. 
you started that job in February? Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been that long already. I said, wow, I can't believe it's been that long. So there's times in our life where we see both sides of the scale or where we think that a day is like a thousand years. And then there's other times where time just flies and we're like, wow, I can't believe it's gone so fast. I remember of a time in my life, and as, as many of us go through this, this time of year, we think about our loved ones that have gone on before us. And I was thinking about the time when my grandfather passed about six years ago, and, and we were actually serving here as the youth pastor when he passed. And I remember it was a Wednesday when he died, and we got the word that he had passed, and I was getting ready to go to youth group. And I remember calling my mom and just checking in with her. It was her father that passed. And as soon as I heard the news, I kept thinking in my mind of this song that we sing. And the song is, is called Better Is One Day. Better is one day. You see, my grandpa Clyde, he was, he was a very hard man. He was a very stern man. If you hear stories even today from my mom or any of her siblings, they'll tell you how they would, they would feel like they were always walking on eggshells around, around their dad because they didn't know how his day was and they didn't want to upset him. You see, my, my grandpa was a very, very stern man, a very hard man. He worked hard. And he just, he just was very matter-of-fact about life. Now, I didn't get to experience those times like my mom did, but uh, I remember later on in life that my grandpa, he gave his life to Christ, and I was so thankful for that because you could see the peace just wash over him and the hardness soften. It was great. It was awesome. You could see a true change in his life, and it was, it was just that miracle of salvation that took place. And I remember thinking, because as, as Grandpa got older, his, his mind began to fail him. And he began to battle dementia and, and onset Alzheimer's. And we, we went through a time in that season of life of saying goodbye to my Grandpa that there were times where we would be sitting in the same room with him and talking to him, and it was as if he wasn't even there. It was like his mind was somewhere else. And I remember thinking on the day that he passed, better is one day in his courts than a thousand mindless days here on earth. And I thought, God, I praise you because he's with you today and he's enjoying that one day. That first day is better than a thousand elsewhere. Wow. I can't wait to that first day in heaven where it just goes on and on and on. A day is like a thousand years. What an incredible day that will be. Amen? I'm thankful that God's timing is not our timing. Another verse in Scripture reminds us of this in Psalm 84.10. It goes exactly with that song, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What an incredible Reminder, that is, that God's timetable is not our timetable. There's times when we're battling hard times. We're battling the, the, the circumstances of our world right now. We're battling a virus. We're battling political unrest. We're battling division in our country and in our world. And I wonder at times, why does God allow this to continue? Why does God allow the hatred in our hearts, why does God allow us to live through these times where it's 
seems like we're all being pointed in the wrong direction. And I find myself asking the question, when will it end? Lord, we do believe you're coming again. Amen? And we look forward to your second coming. And as our text says, God, speed, it's coming. Would you come quickly, Lord, we pray. Another passage reminds us that our timing is not his. God is slow and is not slow. I knew I was going to mess that up. Is not slow in keeping his promises. As our text says, he is not slow in keeping our promises, even though we understand slowness differently. I think of the story in Scripture of Mary and Martha and their brother who's just passed and they send word to Jesus, who's their friend, and, and he, he doesn't come right away. And he waits and he, and he says to his disciples, we are going to wait so that the Lord's glory can be fulfilled. And he shows up and Mary and Martha say to Jesus, their friend, if you would have just been here, you could have saved his life. <laughs> and Jesus weeps with them. And then, and then we know the miracle that takes place and he commands Lazarus to rise from the dead and come out. And guess what? We're reminded that God's timetable is not ours. He wasn't late to Lazarus' funeral. He wasn't early to prepare. He was right on time. God's timing is perfect. And even though we wish that God's timing would be according to our, our understanding, we need to understand today that our timetable wish is not God's command. As much as we want to pray and wish that things would change, that, that this would just end, that this long day, year, whatever it may be, God's reminding us that His timing is perfect. His timing may seem slow to us, but instead, it's slow to us because He's being patient with us. I, I, I want to personalize this because there's times in our lives where I think we take it for granted what God's done for us. Everyone to come to repentance. When I think about that, I wonder, has everyone come to repentance? I don't think so. Because I still live in an evil world, just like you do. And as I think about that, if, if God is tarrying so that everyone will come to repentance, maybe we can endure a little longer. Because shouldn't our wish match His wish? Shouldn't it be our wish that nobody would perish, but that all would come to know Him? God, tarry as long as you need so that it can be a day of rejoicing where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What an incredible promise that is. Amen? So let's live the kingdom life today, recognizing that God's timing is not our timing. The second thing I think we need to see from this text is that God's timing is surprise timing. Like a thief. I want you to watch this clip because I, I want to direct you before you play that clip, Jonathan. Remember the question I asked you this morning as we began. What are you preparing for? Watch this clip of this Christmas movie.
Mark. 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 Uh. Look at this. I think we're getting scammed by a kindergarten. Kids there, the parents gotta be. He's home alone. Gotta be kidding. You wanna come back tonight? Uh-huh. Even with the kid here? Uh-huh. I don't think that's a good idea. Look, that house is the only reason we started working this block in the first place. Ever since I laid eyes on that house, I wanted it. Let's take it one step at a time, okay? We'll uphold the van. Get a bite to eat, we'll come back about nine o'clock. This way it's dark then. Yeah. Kids are scared of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark too, Mark. You know you No, I'm not. Not, not, not. <laughs> Mom, where are you? Mom, where are you? Let's come back at nine o'clock. If you've watched this movie, you see that these bandits, the wet bandits as they're called, are trying to surprise Kevin as he's home alone. And they thought they could scare him and overtake him. You see, that's what a thief does. He or she tries to scare or put fear into our lives. They try to put fear into us so that we are overtaken. Are you preparing for a thief this Christmas? Do you know when they're coming to rob you? No, we don't. But as we read this passage of Scripture, and I think about God's surprise timing, He uses this term thief, but I don't believe it's to scare us. I don't believe it's to, to put us on edge, but I do believe that this surprise warning is to tell us that it will come quickly. It may come when we least expect it. And in other words, just as if the bandits were out in the snow preparing, they didn't know that Kevin heard what time they were coming back. If we could be in that window where we're listening and we're waiting, and then all of a sudden we hear God the Father talking to God the Son, and He's, in, he's including Him in the conversation to say, you know what, I know you haven't known until now, but I want to tell you, tonight at 9 o'clock, you're going to go back. Would we live differently now? Would we live differently now if we knew He was coming now? We've been warned to be ready for the Lord's coming. Verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In Advent, we're anticipating. We are expecting His return. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know how much time we have. But His Word reminds us, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. 
You see, we've been warned like Kevin was warned. We don't have the exact time. Nobody does. But we've been warned that He's coming. And we've been warned that in order for us to experience the kingdom life, we need to start living it now. There's no delay. In order for us to live the kingdom life now, we must recognize God's timing is not our timing. And we must also see that His timing is surprise timing. And finally, we are urged to live a certain way now. How do we live this kingdom life now? Verse 11 says this, What kind of people ought you to be? Again, I ask if you use the word ought this week in your conversation. A couple of you? Yeah. Ought. Ought to be. Should be. We must be. This is our command. This is how it should be done. One, two, three. It should be done in order. This is how you should be. Since everything will be destroyed this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There it is. There's our urge. There's our charge. How must we live today? We must live now, holy, godly lives that find us at peace with Him. That means we must live, let's break this down a little bit, holy lives. What does it mean to live a holy life? Holy very simply means to be set apart. To be set apart. We can expound on that in many different ways and we can get very theological or very, very heady with that definition. But the reality of it means is that God is setting us apart to do His, His work. We are set apart as holy. Leviticus 19.2 says this, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. If we want to be like Him, we must live like Him. Amen? We don't need to wait till heaven to start living for Him and living like Him. He's telling us now, live holy lives set apart for Him. We must be holy like God is holy. We're set apart for His purpose and His plan. We're set apart from sin and for salvation. We're set apart from hatred and selfishness for love and living our life for others. Leviticus 21.8 says, Consider them holy because I the Lord am holy. I who make you holy. It might be easy for us to try to understand holiness as a sense of I can just do better myself and I'll set myself over here. I'll go to the church that has no sinners in it so that I can be set apart. I'll make sure that I don't associate with anybody who's living in sin because God can't be around me if I'm around sin. It just can't be that case. And so I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to be set apart from everything bad and everything evil so that I can just be safe. That's not holiness, folks. Holiness is us saying, you know what? God, I need you to do the work in me. I need you to set me apart because in my own strength, in my own flesh, I can't do it. Here's the really cool thing about eternity. There is nothing you and I can do to make ourselves holy. It is a work 
straight from heaven through God the Father. When we surrender our lives to Him, He begins that work of making us holy, of, of making us like Him. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one that transforms our life. He's the one that, that forgives us of our sins and sets us apart for His work when we surrender our lives to Him. Living a godly life right now means that He saved us, that He's cleansed us, that He's transforming us into making us holy like He is. When we wake up in the mornings, this, this may sound silly to you, but I don't know about you, but my routine is when I get up in the morning, I go straight to the bathroom, and usually the first thing I do is look in the mirror. I don't know why, because I'm not that good looking. But when you look in the mirror, are you seeing yourself? Or are you seeing glimpses of Him? I, re I remind myself every morning as I look in that mirror, God, shape me and mold me to look more like You. Shape me and mold me to set me apart for Your work, not my agenda. Make me pure like You are pure. Amen? When we look in the mirror, do we see glimpses of Him or do we see more of ourselves? Living a godly life now means doing things like Jesus did. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus got alone with the Father. Why did He do that? So He could know how to live His life that day according to the Father's will. Jesus spoke and did what the Father told Him to. Why? Because God's will is greater than our will. Because God's plans are higher and greater than our plans. Jesus loved others. Why? Because God's will is that no one would perish. And through Jesus' love for us, by dying on the cross, we can show the same love to others by living out the kingdom life right now. Amen? Living holy, godly lives. Let the kingdom, living the kingdom life now in these ways sets us up. We can't have the peace that God offers us in its fullness, unless we're living these ways. It's kind of that ought to be. You need to do it this way, step by step by step. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? We need to live holy, godly lives. Why? So that we can be at peace with Him. It doesn't say so that you can be at peace with Him, period. Now go and try your hardest to be the best you can be. That's not what it says. It says live, this is how you ought to live. Live holy. Set apart, let God transform your life. Surrender to Him today. Godly lives is the way He's changing me, shaping me, so that when people see me, they see what I do, they hear what I say, they're seeing glimpses of Him and not me. And as I live that out, it's going to make our Father happy, amen? It's going to give Him a peace. And when we're at peace with Him, we're going to sense that peace and that calmness and that hope like never before. How? when we live out the kingdom life now. We cannot be at peace with God and then with others if we're not fully surrendered to Him in our lives. We must fully surrender our lives in order to live His kingdom life for us now. There's no other way. 
If we want to experience the peace of Christmas and we anticipate Jesus coming again to take us to be with Him in glory, if we want that peace that surpasses all understanding, how ought we to live? Holy and godly lives. Surrendered to Him. Given up to Him. I want to close with this thought for us today. As we look forward to the coming of Christ again, we must ask ourselves that question. Are we living the kingdom life right now? Are we living a life that is worthy to be called kingdom-like? What do you mean, Pastor? Are we living a life of holiness? Are you set apart for God's plan in your life? Do you trust God? His timing. His timing is not our timing. Are you living a life of holiness? Are you living a life of godliness? Godliness. Are you more like Christ in your lifestyle than yourself? Do you think like Jesus did as you start your day? Or are you worried about your own agenda and your own motives? Living a life of holiness and godliness. And then it says, we need to be, present ourselves as spotless. The only way that we can be spotless in a life of living of a spotless life is we can only be spotless by allowing God to cleanse us through Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to wash the stains away in your own life can to, that you can do to wash the sin stains away. You won't get it clean enough. This is a silly illustration, but maybe this will help somebody today. If you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. One of my, one of my things that I like to do to show my love and, and show I care about my wife and my family is after dinner, I try to make sure all the dishes get done and put away where they need to go. And, and I start doing things. She says I do it too slow, but I still do it anyway. You know, And I, I wash the pots and the pans that she's used. And, and she moves on to something else. And I'm usually in the kitchen making sure that gets done, and, and I enjoy doing it. And as I got done last night with the, with the pots and the pans and I put them over to the side, the sink was dirty. So I start scrubbing the sink. Anybody else clean your sink? Yeah, I'm not alone in that. And I got it nice and clean. I said to Alicia, she walked by, I said, you know what, I probably need to do something better to get it more, more clean. And when I have more time, she goes, yeah, you're probably right. But I scrubbed that thing and I spent some extra time and it was as clean as I was going to get it that night. Spotless in my opinion. I woke up this morning. Our kids had hot chocolate last night. Guess what got dumped in the sink without being rinsed out. And I wake up this morning and there is just splatter of chocolate. And I thought, God, I don't want to live a life that just splatters the work you're doing. I want you to clean me and make me whole. Wash me as white as snow. Why? So that when you return, I can be presented as spotless in your eyes. Wow. We've got to live a life of spotlessness. We've got to live a life of blamelessness. It's the same thing. Blamelessness happens because God says when we accept His salvation from our sins, He washes us white as snow. He removes every stain and blemish from our life. Why? Because there want to be no excuse 
No reason why somebody can point their finger at you and say, I missed it because of you. I missed it because you didn't live your kingdom life now. I missed heaven. God, help us. I, I got to meet a guy in, in Wichita, Kansas at the church there. And as we got to know each other, a, a true man of God was doing his best to live for God. And I said to him, I said, why did you come to this church? You could choose any church in Wichita. Why did you come here? This is what he said to me. He said, when I was growing up, I was not living for the Lord. And I was going to a church in rural Kansas. And I went there for years and years and years because my mom made me. And when I came to this church because my, my wife at the time dragged me here, I didn't want to be here. But I heard a message about Jesus Christ who died for my sins and who would wash them all away and cleanse me. And I never heard that before, and I'd been in church for years. Wow. That's a lot of blame. I want to be presented on the day of Christ returning as spotless because He's cleaned me and cleansed me from everything. And because He's done that, I'm going to tell others about Him and what He's done for me. Why? So that when it comes... There's not somebody on the outside looking in at me saying, you didn't tell me. God, help me to live the kingdom life now because your timing is not my timing. I think I have plenty of time. I'm young. I'm still full of life. There's a lot of things left to do. But your timing could come like a thief when we least expect it. But you've warned us. You ought to live this way. Surrendered lives, transformed by Him to live the kingdom life now. Why? So that we can experience peace with Him. Wow. Does your life seem peaceful today? <laughs> if not, let's refocus our life today so that we can live at peace with God. Amen? Scott Daniels, a Nazarene pastor and leader in our denomination, said these words. He said, We are not called to passively wait for His return, but to actively live as though the kingdom has already been fulfilled by living holy and peaceful lives in this world. We're about to gather around the Lord's table once again this morning. And before we do that together, I want to just say a prayer and ask God to examine our hearts. If there's something in our lives today that's not surrendered to Him, let's refocus our lives. Why? So we can live at peace with Him and with others. Would you pray with me? God, thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that Your timing is not our timing. I thank You, God, that You warn us in time for, to expect what You have planned for us, but Your timing is surprise timing. And we don't know when You're coming, but we know You're coming. And so God, today, if there's something in our lives today that's causing us to to not be at peace with You, would You help us to refocus today? To live as we ought to 
holy, godly lives so we can live at peace with you. Thank you, Lord, for your promise of salvation and also your promise to return. In Jesus' name, amen. As we gather around the Lord's table this morning, if you received your elements as you came in, there's two different layers of, of things to open. That top layer is a little cellophane wrapper that holds the wafer, holds the bread. So as you peel back that first layer, I want you just to take the bread and I want you to hold the bread for a moment. I want to remind you of something. When Jesus partook of this Last Supper with His disciples, there was some tension in the room. There wasn't complete peace. You see, Jesus knew that his betrayer was there. He knew that there was somebody who wasn't willing to surrender his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as he prepared to break that bread and, and share that moment with his disciples, I can only imagine that Jesus wanted them to be reminded of what he was offering them. A life at peace with him. Jesus took the bread. He broke the bread. He blessed the bread. Gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he told them to eat it. As you Eat the bread this morning. Eat the bread and be reminded of what God did for you through Jesus' body. Take the bread and be thankful this morning. The Bible tells us that for salvation of sins to, to happen, there must be a blood sacrifice of a spotless, blameless sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that is not splattered with filth. Jesus came to earth to be that spotless, blameless sacrifice for your sins and for mine. So that we could live holy, godly, and at peace with Him lives. Jesus took the cup after dinner. And He reminded His disciples, His followers, this cup represents My blood that will be shed as the perfect sacrifice for you. Every time you take this cup, remember what I did for you and be thankful. Take the cup, drink it, and be thankful. Father God, you 
are so perfect in your ways. We are humbled, Lord, to sit at your table today. To be reminded, Lord, of the life that we ought to live. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us today as we go from this place, Lord, to refocus our lives, to live the kingdom life now, because it's the way we ought to live in preparation of your coming. Thank you, God, for making us holy. Thank you, God, for shaping us to be more like you. And in doing so, God, I pray that as we go today, we go in your peace and we take that peace to your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 630.